Welcome to Drinking Bros Sports, brought to you by KillCliffCBD.com. Sit back, relax, and grab a fucking drink. You're the type who loves to bet on sports, or maybe you're only playing for the first time. Either way, you need a website that gives you access to all your favorite sports and makes it simple, which is why I recommend MyBookie.com. Sign up today at MyBookie.com. Use the promo code Bros to secure your deposit bonus up to $1,000. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie.com. My, my collar okay? Yeah, yeah your collar's done. great. Welcome to Drinking Bros, kids. Dan, this is, uh, <laughs> this is a special day for me. Um, this is the, the, the greatest man to cover the NBA in the history of, uh, uh, of the sport, well, I believe. I, definitely, the, I would say of everyone who's ever covered the NBA, if you had to pick somebody, uh, if we're talking about the goat of not giving a fuck... It's Peter Vesey. Yeah, you got to put him up there, right? The, the best. He's the, the best of all time. I like that phrase, too, the goat of not giving a fuck. Yes, because you've never given I, a fuck, I like that Peter. myself. Yeah. You've never, ever given no. a fuck, and that's the amazing part of you. Yeah. How have you been able to get away with it for so many years? Or did you just kind of teeter out before cancel culture got involved? Peter out. So um, it's, funny, it's funny you ask that because my sister – asked uh, her siblings of which she has four to uh, write something about our parents in the last week or so and so we've all written about it and i wrote about how i was in trouble since kindergarten i mean i truly you know i'm not proud of it but i was in trouble from kindergarten and you know like took a smack at a teacher i'm not sure if it was the first or second grade or and then and then left the school and walked home. And uh, so it's been like that since early on. And um, I blame it all on my parents. <laughs> <laughs> did you always grow up loving basketball or did your dad love it? I mean, we all become our dads, yeah. I feel like, you know, eventually one day. Um, I know they were journalists, but did they push you into that? Or did you have the oh. option of like, hey, go live your life? Uh, well, you know, ask you a bas- answer your basketball question. My father used to get me tickets to um, college games and pro games, and I only had to pay the tax. So it was like get a five dollar seat, which puts you in the second row, basically, and you had to pay seventy five cents tax. And that was my Christmas presents and birthday and stuff like that. So I loved that. But he also got me uh, into Ebbets Field and the Polo Grounds and. <laughs> And the stadium, because he was a sports writer and he had a pass. And so I went to many, many Dodger games, living in Queens, uh, subway, subway to Brooklyn, you know, in, in, in grammar school. Mm-hmm. Could use his pass. There was no problem. I could get me and a friend in. And so I'd go and I'd get lost every single time I went there. And uh, coming back, the same thing. It was like I couldn't get it. And then years later, or not too much later than that, I learned that I was very radically nearsighted. And I really do blame that on my parents for not for not finding that out because I had a lot of trouble in school. So why? Uh, name's Bessie. I was in the back of the room, <laughs> and, and uh, I couldn't see the blackboard. I really couldn't hear what was going on. I could fool around with the kids next to me and say you know say stupid stuff but so you know once i got glasses the nuns figured it out after 
you know, after a year or so, I guess in the eighth grade, they figured seventh grade, eighth grade, they figured out I need glasses and holy shit. <laughs> I, I, I could, I, you know, you know, you don't know what you can't see. I just couldn't see. Man, that's, so, that's, that's wild. Uh, and then once you had yeah. it figured out and dialed in, um, then I what happened? Was an asshole. Yeah. Okay, no, good. I still was an asshole. Yep. No, no, yep. because, because the habits were there and I never outgrew them. And I remember, I remember uh, uh, a scout in the NBA telling me early on when I first started covering, and it had nothing to do with, oh, maybe it had to do with sports, but he said that the habits you have as a kid, you're going to have as an adult. And I never forgot that because he was, he was right. And, and um, so, any, my parents did not push me into uh, writing or anything like that. But my father, I, you know, I've said this many times, he got me every job that I ever had. Um, and I even accuse him of, you know, turning me into the uh, to the selective service. And they came and got me at my apartment and I was drafted. But <laughs> but but I, I, I um, you know, he got me a job when I was 14 or something and um, working at AP Associated Press on a Saturday afternoon, you know, doing football stuff, college football stuff. And then he got me a job at 16 when I was at uh, a junior in high school, he got me a job at the Daily News in the uh, sports department uh, doing statistics. And I worked full time the whole baseball season, my junior and senior years, which is, you know, it's pretty amazing. 16 and 17 and you're going to school and uh, which I really didn't want to be in school. So I loved working. I loved it. And, you know, you take the subway. I was in Queens, take the subway to 53rd Street. You know, and you and you and you go down to 42nd where the Daily News was between Second and Third Avenues, and I'm wearing my my high school letter, and all the gay guys are trying to pick me up. It was great. I loved it. <laughs> That's a good confidence boost. It is. Yeah. No man, I knew I had it. Yeah. You know, I, like... <laughs> and then and then I tell everybody that you know when I, I got married the second time, my uh, Julius Irving was the best man at my wedding and he he threw a bachelor party at studio 54 and i'm, I'm being serious about this so no way no no oh no definitely at studio Fifty. so i i was very upset i guess i was 30 32 33 somewhere around there and, and i was very upset at the place because none of the gay guys asked me to dance so <laughs> i i thought i thought i'd lost it you know i said okay it, it's over you know it's like well, that's a good time. It's a good thing that was your bachelor party because you're locked down at that after that, anyways, right? Yeah, yeah, you're locked down. And I, by the way, P Peter, I've said the same thing about uh, Kevin Spacey. Like, I was sad that I didn't get you know hit on when I was in Hollywood with him. You know? Yeah. Like, what's wrong yeah, with you me? Know, I mean, you no, know, you could. No, I mean, really, you know, like you can fool around with, or it can be serious. You know, if, you, if you're real young. But um, I, I used to make jokes, and it's not funny anymore, obviously. But you know, I, I, I wasn't an altar boy and, and, you know, I missed a lot of chances. <laughs> well, you miss all the shots you don't take. So, yeah. uh, uh, somebody, yeah. Michael Scott, there somebody said that it was, uh, no, it was like John, John Wilkes Booth said that. Um, so you got drafted, uh, and from what I, uh, from what I hear, you spent some time in special operations community. Tell me about that. Well, I, you know, I was drafted and, um, it can be a long story or a short story. So let me, let me try to cut to the chase. Um, 
So you go in and you, um, you know, Vietnam War is, is uh, escalating. And uh, went, I went, went through basic training and then, uh, okay, now I'm going to uh, advance infantry. And they sent me out to Fort Ord, California. And I know where my next stop is. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's Vietnam. Correct. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm a fighter. So um, I, they tell you not to raise your hand, but they came recruiting. The Green Berets came, came recruiting because they needed, they needed more draftees who, who could uh, uh, do communications. I had to learn Morse code. So you had to pass a test of Morse code. And only, only, that was the only one out of the five things that you were able to do if you were a draftee. You couldn't go into medical. You couldn't do engineering. Uh, those were much longer um, uh, educational things. But um, so I, I raised my hand because I said, you know, let me delay this a little bit. You know, and if I'm going to go, I want to go with the best. Right. Yeah, and, a lot of people uh, made but, that decision back then. Yeah. So. So uh, you had to go through airborne training. So now they sent me back to the East Coast. It's just, you know, to uh, Fort Benning in Georgia. And I'm saying, okay, I'm a little further away from, from Vietnam now. <laughs> and and um, I went through airborne training. And, uh, you know, I, I just had a – I just met up with a guy who I was in special forces with. But we hadn't seen each other in like five years. And before that, maybe 30 years. And uh, – we we met down we met down in uh, Long Beach Island, New Jersey, and uh, I used to I used to own a house there. So did I. Where were you? Uh, Ramapo, actually, and then a uh, hurricane. Oh, hurricane. Lied. So you so you lied. It wasn't. It was Ramapo is not Long Beach Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was my street. I'm actually just giving my my oh, street right. address. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. You're, you're not, it doesn't matter because I don't live there anymore. The house got nuked by Hurricane Sandy. Yeah, the house doesn't exist. The no. house doesn't. It didn't exist now. So, uh, who, whoever took over the property, but uh, we were there for gosh, uh, my, and that house was in my family for 50 years. Um, I was about a mile away from that Wawa, and then Fantasy Island down there was my uh, my childhood jaunt. It is rare okay. that somebody um, is uh, is Long Beach Island on the show. It's tremendous. I, so I played, I played ball across the street from Fantasy Island. You know, every every night of my, you know, for five years or so, I had a house there in the early seventies. I built, still there, was not wiped out, still there. Had to sell it when we got divorced. Big mistake, but both both actually getting divorced and selling the house. But but anyway, um, so where was I? So. I forget where I was when you interrupted. Uh, uh, airborne sorry, school. Uh, airborne school, yeah. And you were talking about meeting up with one of your buddies in special ops from yeah, uh, so, on Long okay. Beach Island. All right. And he and he gave me a little a little thing that he 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 he's still involved. He's totally involved. Because he did go to Nam. I did not go to Nam. He went to Nam. And uh but we've stayed in touch. And so he's been teaching younger guys that are in the military. And uh, he told me a thing he told them. And I just I said, man, this is absolutely the best thing I've ever heard because it's true. And they asked him what advice he could give them, you know, in the military. What, what's the best advice he could give them? Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, kind of like what Churchill said, never, never, never quit. Mm. And. He, he hit it on the head for me because when I got my wings, it was the greatest thing in my life. I, I, it was the hardest thing to go through 
airborne school. So many guys who were much tougher than me, uh, much bigger than me, they quit. And uh, when I got those wings, you know, Barry Sadler pin those wings upon your chest, man. That was yeah, like, yeah. did he, did you have somebody, uh, uh, give you blood wings and somebody punch them into your chest or what happened there? I'm, I'm sure no, they did. They had, no, they have a ceremony, man. It's oh yeah. Like I've, I've been to airborne school. Yeah. I was in the 82nd. Okay. Airborne. So, all right. So you were up the hill for me. Up, yeah. Yeah. yeah yep. Ford Bragg. Yep. Yeah. You were up the hill. Yeah. We, uh, um, we had people okay. punch them into our chest. Although I think that practice is, is outlawed now. <laughs> uh, same thing yeah. with your, uh, for your combat yeah. infantry badge. Uh, you know, you get it punched into your chest. I don't know why. I think it's kind of unnecessary, but <laughs> you know, we so do you like, you know what I'm so you know what I'm talking about, exactly. Yeah, airborne yeah. school is actually a lot harder when you went, to be honest. I mean, they have there's so much volume of people going through these days. Like you guys did the entire Pete, the entire three week course in jump boots, which are not very comfortable. I did it in tennis shoes. Yeah. It's not the same thing anymore. Really? Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Tennis shoes and PT I shorts. I saw you. I saw you at Studio Fifty Four. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Well, I didn't hit on you. It's because I was jealous of your jump boots. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I was very upset for a long time that I, I let those go, because uh, you know they were important to me. Mm -hmm. I still have my jacket though and my beret. And, yeah, yeah. You know, something like that. But uh, anyway, so so i didn't i you know so then i went to airborne then i went uh you know became a green beret and that took about six months or so and i kept volunteering and volunteering for anything that i could to delay going and you know i i i, I, I volunteered for scuba dropped out of that i, I panicked at that shit man scuba is the hardest school that. in the entire military by far in my that, opinion oh my Oh my Actually, God. A, a, a 10th group guy, I think, just died at scuba mm -hmm. school in Florida last week. I just read that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, really? That's, yeah. It's the toughest, the toughest of all the schools that I'm familiar with in the military that exist. I think that's the hardest. Yeah. And our buddy well, Mar Marcus Luttrell, uh, you know, the lone survivor, he was telling us, yeah. he was like, dude, he's had horror stories about set. just yeah. training. Yeah. You get underwater. fucking, uh, you, the they, they intentionally drown you a number of times. Like, you know, so, so I got that impression. When they when they told me you know we're in a lake and you can't see shit, and and you got to go down thirty feet but you got to leave your equipment up top, and you got to go down and and pretend that it's <laughs> pretend that the equipment that they'll leave you is gonna you gotta find it, mm -hmm. and so you know you gotta go down thirty feet for it and put it on and like, nah, <laughs> about halfway down it was over for me. I said. Yeah, I could hardly do the one. Uh, there's this thing. There's this thing they do for for pre ranger, which is uh, you jump into the water basically with all your shit on, mm -hmm. and you have to take yeah. it off, like your 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 parachute harness. You got to get it all off in the water, and then swim. I think fifty meters to the thing. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm too stupid. Like I can't. Uh, uh, intellectually, I'm smart, but my body is a retard. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm just gonna be fumbling yeah, with that and funny. drown. Come on, man. Can't you know. That. It, on that on that same uh, level, I, I have a um, a relative who just went through jump school, and now he's he's down in Louisiana. Young kid. Oh, at Fort Polk, and, that sucks. Jesus yeah, Christ! At, at Fort at Fort Polk, that is the worst and, place on earth, folks. And, and I don't I don't know him that well, but he's my uh, he's a relative, and now we bonded because of of the military. Right. And and he he I'm living up in Saratoga Springs, and. Uh, he said to me, he said, you know, you know, we just had a, a, a woman who, who died on a jump and she was from Saratoga. I said, I know that. 
because they made a huge deal about her up here. And he said, do you know how she died? And I said, I have no idea. He said, well, you'll never read this anywhere. He says, but we had a big you know, meeting. Everybody got together and they told us that she made a fine jump. She landed and the wind was blowing and it got tangled around her neck, her chute, mm. dragged her and choked her to death. Oh, man. Yeah, that's why you got that canopy release assembly right there on your shoulder, my man. But yeah, it's so, I mean, yeah, no, so, weird so shit like that happens a lot. So they say, hey, you know, this is what happened. You better get rid of that shoot quickly. Yeah. So anyway, I was, it's amazing how you find things out, though. And um, so the ending, uh, the ending of the story is I would have loved to have gone to uh, um, to become a ranger, but you didn't have enough time to do it. So by the time I was finished, they said, um, all right, well, now you have to extend six months so we can sh- send you to Nam." because they won't send you for anything less than 11 months. Mm-hmm. That was the deal. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm going to extend. And uh, they said, we knew, we knew you were fucked up. You know, we knew, we knew it long ago, you know, you had six months of college. You think you're a smart kid. And, um, and, and I didn't go and, and uh, they were not happy with me. And so every, every morning for the last six months or five months of my my tour was uh, I'd have to make, you know, I have to make formation, you know, in the morning mm-hmm. and I have to make it in the afternoon. And then I'd have to go open a classroom and close. It. And that was it. <laughs> it sounds like my last semester of high school. I had uh, <laughs> I had French and gym. Yep. That's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and I didn't learn any French. No, no, no. But I did all. work out, so that was cool, I guess. But yeah. I went home at 11 a.m. every day, which all that did was just – you don't want to give a 17, 18-year-old too much free time. No, I'll no, say that. A lot of weird shit went down there. That's funny. <laughs> a lot funny. of experimentation. So let me, let, me, let me just explain a little bit, though, so you don't think I'm so much of a coward. But <laughs> my, my, um, my father was a hawk. And my mother was a dove, and she was way ahead of her time. You know, we're talking. I, I got drafted in '65, but she she was she was um, a dove uh, long before that. And so, my whole thinking was like, so I'm going to go to Nam, and I'm going to you know get killed or lose a leg or whatever, and my mother's going to be pissed off that I went. And that's that's really you know I, I wrote I've written about that. And, and I said that she's, you know, probably one of the few women in the world that gave me life twice. Yeah. You know. I, and, and look, moms will do that. Um, my when we were talking about Long Beach Island earlier. So my grandfather bought that house in, I think, 68. Uh, he was in World War Two. My uncle had gotten drafted to go to Vietnam, but was in college. And it was actually my grandmother um, who had written a letter to the president saying, hey, can you delay this four years? Let him, <laughs> let him finish college, and then he'll come back, and you know, if the war's still going on, he'll go to the war, or if it's not, he'll go to the reserves, not thinking about you know, ever hearing anything back. And sure enough, the president wrote back and said, okay, great, we'll let him go to college, and then as soon as he's over, you know, you either enlist in the war or you go into the reserves, and, uh, and it was Isn't over that, after uh, that. Yeah, strange. Um, yeah. Uh, Long Beach Island. Just the last note is that you know I put stuff up today on Long Beach Island on Twitter, 
because um, while I was down there, I visited with my friend from the army and then a guy from college came down. We had another little reunion and I took pictures out in front of my house. Well, actually, my in-laws house, they, they built it in 69 and I built mine in 71. So I took a picture in front of their house, you know, and the house looks fantastic. Still there. They're they're buried in Manahawkin oh, uh, yeah. with my first with my first wife. And I visit, I visit there often. I love Long Beach Island. Still love it. Same. Uh, that's, that's one of my biggest regrets, too, is, is, is uh, what happened to that house. Yeah, so it was on Ramapo and Beach, mm. Beach Avenue, uh, right on the corner there. And uh, it was in the family for, geez, close to 50 years. But uh, everybody who passed, it went to somebody else. And then uh, with Hurricane Sandy, uh, kind of wiped it out. <laughs> and then FEMA came in and, you know, asked everybody to raise four feet because you're now in a flood zone. And right. Uh, and then they wanted you to pick up the tab for it. And it was, you know, that's 175 grand to raise a house and all that stuff. So right. uh, we, we were on, we, we built on stilts anyway. So mm -hmm. last thing that, so while I was down there, I bought a bench in veterans park in, in, uh, beach Haven. And, uh, I bought a bench for my in-laws for their names, put my name on it on a third plaque away from them. So they don't get pissed off that I'm on the same. <laughs> Same bench. Actually, I love I love my in-laws. But but um, so I just did that. And the bench, I have a picture of the bench already. It's right in front of the angle side, you know? Yeah. Oh, oh my God. I mean, it's very emotional. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those places that's uh, if, if you're from there or you know anything about uh, LBI, it's I, there's some form of magic in the air there. And we don't say that very often on this show. Uh, yeah. and I, I don't know what it is. Um, but, but I, I love it there. Uh, when you, yeah. when you finished up, it's uh, Vietnam. Is that when you got into, uh, covering the NBA or the ABA, I should say? No, when I got out of the army in 67, um, uh, I got married and, uh, just, you know, figured out that I had to do, do more than statistics to, uh, to raise a family. Although as a statistician, I made really good money. Uh, even in high school, I made really good money. And that definitely, you know, why do I have to go to college? I'm making really good money now. And so I, I started writing on my own. Uh, my father worked at the Daily News. Uh, he would he would help me. Nobody else did, but he did. He'd read my stuff and uh, copy read it and stuff. And uh, and I did it on my time. And then I asked to uh, cover the ABA on my time, which had started in 67. Mm hmm. And so I, I did that and I, I got, it took a long time to get promoted with no college. Basically I had, I had basically six months of college, but, but so, um, it took a while, but, uh, then forced, I forced the, uh, them to give me a promotion and I was breaking stories left and right. And, uh, and that's how I ended up. I got the Nick job. Then they gave me the Nick job in 73, right after their championship. Mm hmm and um, and then ended up leaving the Daily News in 77, went to the Post, and they, I became the first columnist, to, uh, first NBA columnist for sure, but the first columnist in the country that only covered one sport. Um, Peter, Peter Gammons of uh, the Boston Globe mm -hmm. did only baseball, and we were right around the same time. And, you know, it's a matter of weeks or months that one of us was first, but whatever. You know, I'm in great company with Peter Gammons. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, you, you said that Dr. J uh, took your, your bachelor party over to uh, 
the the mecca yeah. there in New York, Studio Fifty Four. Yeah. Were you friends with him from the NBA, and then when he or from the ABA when he flipped over? How did that friendship yeah. start? Yeah, it started in college. I covered him a little bit, wrote about him when he was at UMass, and uh, then when he came out of college as a, after junior year. Um, I had a team in the Rucker that year. That summer, I started it. Uh, I organized it. I coached it. I played on it. And I asked him to play for my team. And I put together a great team of pros, really good college players. Um, I just talked to talked to one of them a few days ago. Out of the blue, he calls me, Charlie Scott, who, who was the first black athlete at the University of North Carolina. And he played. He played for me. He he was an ABA scoring champion. Mm-hmm. You know. Then he then he won a championship with the Celtics. Blah blah blah. So we had a great team. And uh, Julius played with with me for four years. We we won twice. And then I came back later on in the early '80s with two more teams, uh, and we won twice. But he he and I became real good friends. We're still friends. Um, I I did a podcast with him you guys should listen to it it's uh on the nba uh nba legends um he was my first podcast Mm. and uh, he was he was terrific he was he told me stuff in the podcast that i never knew before which shocked me actually i was like what that (laughs) happened why didn't you tell me then you know (laughs) i could have written about you know yeah i could have written about but now you're telling me but he, you know, he. I said on the podcast that he never really revealed inside stuff to me. People might think he did, but he never did. He would give me great quotes on everything, all on the record. You know, and I'd stay at his house, stay at his apartment. You know, we were close. We were close. You know, we cheated on our wives together. We did everything. <laughs> <laughs> we actually just saw him in Vegas. We, we just ran ago, into yeah. him two weeks ago. Um, one of our <laughs> one of our producers is from Delco up there, uh, Delco Dan, um, and uh, was a you know big Dr. J fan, obviously. But um, I got the sense from him that unless you were a close friend, that he probably wouldn't open up to you that much. Because um, like you were saying, you didn't know the stories about him before you ended up doing that podcast. Uh, I think he just kept everything close to the vest because he was such a classy guy and he's such a huge figure for basketball. I don't think anybody needed to know those, those stories about him. Um, but as you get older, probably you don't give a shit anymore. Yeah. And I think he, he said, uh, well, a couple things off that. First of all, uh, well, I don't even want to go there, but you know, we found out much later on that he had a child out of wedlock, mm. uh, who became a ten- you know, excellent tennis player, a, a girl. But I didn't know about that either. He was he was having an affair with a New York Times freelance writer, and uh, didn't know that either. So, but I told him on the podcast, I said, you know, I didn't need you really to find out what was going on because you know I had your wife, and she told me everything. <laughs> he got he got a kick he got a kick out of that. Like, <laughs> they're divorced now, but I, you know, um, yeah, he kept things close to the best. But he, you know, he's he, he was a great interview for anybody that because he, he would really explain stuff um, in detail and stuff nuances and stuff. And then you know we worked together at NBC too. We um, you know, we were two two of the insiders for a while. I, I don't, I'm not sure how many years he worked with me. I, I did the whole 12 for NBC uh, that they had the NBA. I think he did two or three. 
I had many, many co-hosts with me. Uh, started with Pat Riley. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, you know, Quinn Buckner, Bob Ferry, uh, Isaiah Thomas, uh, John Sally, uh, Bill Walton. Just saw John Sally as well. Yeah, John He's, Sally was on the show a couple John, weeks ago John as well. Sally might be a better entertainer than he ever was a basketball player. You know yeah, I mean? that guy's a blast. And I don't, Did you have a blast of John Sally? Yeah, I don't mean that to be an insult towards his basketball skills either. He is really no, fucking I, funny. No, no, he's he he and I he and I were pretty tight. He got me. He, he did that. Uh, what was the show he had afterward? He oh, got uh, Sally. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, the best damn. Yeah, the best damn sports show. Oh, you're talking about yeah. the one on Fox. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. So yeah. he got me on there for a year after. Uh, but yeah, I'll tell you a funny Sally story. Um, he he only lasted one year, and. Uh, <laughs> he, he was a radical from the moment he showed up. We would have a the league meeting would have you know, league the league would have a meeting with the TV, and you know he was saying you know stuff race racial stuff. Stern would tell him shit, sit the fuck down, John. Sit the fuck down. You just got here, you know. And so so uh, I mean he was he was funny, but uh, one day one day uh, before before uh, we went on the show, we'd all meet you know, have a little meeting about what we're going to talk about that day. And the producer, a guy named Ricky Diamond, he said to John, he said, John, you know, you have to, you have to come more prepared to, uh, to the meetings, you know, for the, for the show, you know, you gotta, you gotta make some phone calls before you come here. And John said, Ricky, they don't pay me enough to make phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, from then on, I, I called them long gone, Sally. <laughs> it was so funny, but it was like, but it was true. I mean, he, he really came unprepared, but he figured he could wing it. But most most of the guys I worked with did, did not work at it uh, at all. I think the only guy I ever worked with that really came prepared was Mike Fratello. Everybody oh, else, interesting. Everyone yeah. else would uh, try to wing it. Yeah, Mike Fratello. So uh, he was the head coach of the Hawks. Yeah. Back I can't in the tell. Day. I can't tell if Sally's ever prepared or if that's just who he is as a person. Because we're we're about five or so minutes into a conversation with him on the show, and uh, we're we're at we're in Vegas covering Big Three, and then Nancy Lieberman walks over, yep. who's a female basketball legend, obviously, um, and they just start going into a whole fucking stand up com- comedy show. And but none of it. It's clear that none of it was pre-rehearsed or anything like. Oh that. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. I mean, it's right. he's, he's funny. He's yeah. funny. She and I have the same birthday, by the way. Oh July wow. 1st. Oh really? There you go. Well, happy birthday. Both from, both from Queens. Both from Queens. How was uh, How was Pat Riley? By the way. He was. Um, I'm going to say nothing bad about Pat Riley because I've really gotten to like him a lot. But he was he was a little tough to work with because. Um, uh, you know, he was Pat Riley. He just won three championships, and uh, he was. This was an interim stop. He was co-host with with Costas, and he'd never done that work before. He, he you know, he had done uh, radio with Chick Hearn, mm. uh, but it was it was hard for him. It, it was he wasn't he wasn't very revealing. But he saved my ass one time by remembering what I was supposed to say regarding a trade. And I went blank on national television and he saved my ass. So, um, you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of good things came out of it. We, you know, when I covered him with the Knicks, it was, you know, we were good. We were bad Lakers. We were mostly good. Uh, Miami, you know, it turned out good. 
and um, yeah, I really, I really enjoy being around him, talking to him. I wish I was around him more. And um, I, I remember though, on the revealing side, uh, Dick Ebersole, who was you know running running NBC Sports, told me that uh, he said to Riley after during the first year, you're going to have to give up more information, or we're not going to bring you back. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Pat was fine. I'll take the next job. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, but, it seems like Pat was always angling for the next job actually in basketball. And not no, of course. It, right? Yeah. No, of course. Of course. So you're not going to come on and give up your strategy. Like, what, what would you do with this team? You're like, well, I'm actually interviewing for that job, so why don't you just <laughs> let me keep that to myself, asshole? Well, that's, that's what happened, actually. We, we did a mock draft, and uh, the guy who was running the studio made sure that Riley had Knicks. As, of course. As, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he would he wouldn't do it. What an asshole. He wouldn't do it. <laughs> of course I wouldn't have done walked, it either. Fuck that shit. Yeah. He, he walked he walked off the set. Said, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Peter, we got some sponsors that put this whole shit wagon on the air. I hate to interrupt this, but uh we got some bills to pay around here. First and foremost, Kill Cliff C B D. Come on. It's all at killcliff.com right now, but the C B D is my jam. Uh, that's, that's my day one, dude. That's my day one, homie. Uh, the, the Kill Cliff CBD. I feel, D'Anthony, like we were the first ones in on this. I think it was us and Joe Rogan. Now they've exploded. I still like to order it straight to my house, though, at KillCliffCBD.com. Yeah. I mean, it's convenient, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's uh, also with the CBD, you don't know what you're getting from a lot of these people, to be honest. I mean, everybody reports back, like, hey, I tried the when you when you approach someone about using the product for the first time, they're like, "Oh, I tried that before. It doesn't really do anything for me." Like, have you tried it before? Yeah. Or do you just drink something with uh, MCT oil on it that says it was CBD? You know what I mean? There's, come on, get real. There's a reason that fucking athletes all over the world are using this shit. Yeah, yeah. And Killcliff uh, is is the best in the biz. And again, I know I said KillcliffCBD.com at the at the top. Um, you can type in that as well, and it goes directly to Killcliff.com. Now, the beauty of that is. You get 30% off of all of their products at KillCliff.com with the promo code DRINKINGBROS. Um, so take advantage of everything on their website. Me, personally, I am the fucking CBD guy. Uh, I, I have a can of it before I go to sleep at night. also like to throw a little vodka in it over the weekends. Not going to lie. Joe Rogan's got a flavor there called the Flamin' Joe. It is uh, pineapple and spicy jalapeno. That is delightful. The grape is always my favorite, and there is no THC in any of their CBD products, so you will not piss hot on a drug test. Go to KillCliff.com today and get your KillCliff CBD, 25 milligrams in every single can, and use the promo code DRINKINGBROS for 30% off at checkout. Next up, we got MyBookie.com. Man, I've been gambling on the Olympics. Uh, Not going to lie, I'm I'm about 60-40. I think I've won six out of ten bets so far for the Olympics. Um, the first half on the, the, the U.S. team is, seems to be the play, by the way. Uh, got into it with Alex Monaco the other day. over uh, The first half in basketball? Yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, full game, USA ended up covering, but then they didn't end up covering um, uh, the first half. Same with uh, last night's game where they beat Spain. Right. Um, Spain was up by fuck man like 10 or 12 Mm. and then the u.s came back and eventually won by eight it's gonna be tight and uh and those spreads are big 
Those are fun to get in on. I just like to have a little something on it every single time. The Simone Biles thing, dude, that was in there as well. What were you betting on exactly? If she would show up or not? Uh, yeah. So, dude, mm. dude, my Bucky's got all those options. So whether or not they're actually going to make it there, if they finish um, with the gold, silver, or bronze, right. you can do that for all the Olympic games. Um, and, again, dude, with uh, towards the, I think we're in the final 16 now of either 16 or 8 in, uh, in the men's basketball those bets are going to be fun for now, Delco Dan is saying. We're down to four. That's right, that time zone thing. That time zone's fucking me up, dude. Because uh, that shit's on it. Like, that, that Simone Biles thing was on at 3.50 this morning, by the way. Mm. I was just like, all right, sweet. Well, I, I mean, luckily, who gives a shit? Yeah. Right? Yeah. About stuff that happens at 3.50 in the morning. I know, but you got to bet you can still you can, bet, you can bet whenever you want. Yes. I guess you, you have to media blackout yourself if you really want to enjoy it. Like instead of yes. instead of waking up and checking your phone immediately, you should wake up and turn that event on immediately. You know what's weird is I I, I wake up and I check mybookie.com because you're it looks like a bank account like in the top right hand corner of the app, and so if the money is up, then I know <laughs> that I won versus mm-hmm. like checking it because I, I I like to watch the replays like tonight I'll watch the replay of that, uh, but also I will bet on all of tomorrow's events tonight at mybookie.com. Um, they give you the choice when your season begins and ends at mybookie.com. You can bet on hundreds of games, leagues around the world, the Olympics. Uh, go for those long shots, dude. College basketball, or I'm sorry, college uh, football is right around the corner. All the odds are up for, for week one. Same with the NFL, Dan. Every single odd is already up for week one in the NFL. Yeah, we're going to have to do crazy. a preview show here pretty soon, I yeah, guess. It's getting yeah, about yeah, that yeah. time. Uh, can't wait for that. Uh, waiting for the, uh, the, the drop of, of the college football preseason rankings uh, to get into that. But we're amped. Uh, you can already bet on who's going to win the national championship as well as the Super Bowl at mybookie.com. And when you're there, you're going to use the promo code Drinking Bros to receive $1,000 in bonus money when you make your first deposit. That's 1000 bucks in extra cash when you make your first deposit with mybookie using the promo code Drinking bros, bet anything, anytime, anywhere with mybookie.com. Last but not least, ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. I don't know why. I don't know why they're doing it. They got a 40% flash sale that's on right now. Uh, not sure how you're making money. My it's bookie. a bundle package. So if you, buy, uh, if you buy a mattress and an adjustable base, mm-hmm. you're going to get 40% off that. Basically. Yes. Flash sale right now. Go. Yeah. So ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros today uh, and hop on it, both literally and figuratively. Uh, there's nothing more important than a good night's sleep, and they have the best products in the business, including the, the cooling mattresses, pillows, and that new pillow topper. Look, in Texas, it's hot as hell, man. If I don't have all the, all the cooling things on top of my bed, I'm going to sweat to death. As always, they got a zero down, zero interest program for 36 months if you have decent credit. You can walk out of there with that 40% flash sale with the adjustable base and mattress and all that shit with a brand new bedroom set for like 35 to 38 bucks a month, man. Somewhere in there. It's the best. Take advantage of it now. Yes, that 40% offer is still good with the zero down, zero interest for 36 months. So go there. Go to ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros today. Thank you, Peter, for allowing us to pay for the show to be on the air. Did they I, say did they say anything of like, hey dude, are you coaching the Knicks? Like what's the story? Well, of course. No, no, we were, you know, he, of course we everyone knew he was gonna be the next Nick coach. And then so that's why they gave him the Knicks as one of the four teams that he had to come up with a draft pick for. 
and he wouldn't do it. I have it on tape, actually. Oh, I'm boy. probably the only yeah. one that has it on tape, the whole thing that happened, because it's so funny, mm-hmm. because he's walking off in a huff, goes to goes to his uh, in a green room, and uh, Bob Ferry was with me, and Ferry's making comments like, oh, now now I know what Jerry West was up against. Now I now I get it, you know. And, <laughs> <laughs> and Bob Costas is looking in the mirror at his hair. He's going, you know, I mean, <laughs> let me fix my hair. You know, like, do you think, that's all he cared about. Do you think Bob Costas, like, is Bob Costas' legacy going to be pink eye at the Olympics? That's all that's, I remember. I, that's that all I can think about every time somebody brings him up now. Yeah. Uh, what's oh, he like? What's, what's Costas like in real life? Nobody really knows anything about him. What I've heard behind the scenes is he's kind of a dick, but I can't confirm that. You could. <laughs> Wait, you're asking Peter yeah. Vesey to call somebody a dick. That's like pot and kettle. Kind yeah, of yeah. Uh, but that's but we know, the only guy I'm going to get an honest answer out of. We know our own. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I was going to give it to you until you said that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to give it up. But fuck you. Half <laughs> 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 one or not. <laughs> <laughs> We're not we're not tight. Let me say that. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what everybody has said about him. Um, he's, he's with you. He the, seems like one of those uh, taskmasters on production day. That's what no. I have heard. Like no. he's always like, hit, fucking do this, do this, do this. Is that not no, true? No, not at all. No. Okay. No, no, no. So no, what, no. what would make it work only, hard to work with him? Uh, only cared about himself. Oof. You know he yeah. and he was really good. So mm-hmm. how about how about the rest of us? You know, like. Could you pay attention in the green room when we talk about what we're going to talk about? Well, he was paying attention, but, you know, just just never really made it easy for us, easier for us. Yeah, who was working with him. Mm. And and you never, ever said. In front of him, what you were going to say on the air. So you mean he, he would take s- it, he would steal it and say it and then take credit for it because yeah. he's the host. Yep. Right. He's yeah. the host. Yeah, I called him out one time on it though. You? We had to, we had to, we had to stop. We had to stop. You know, no, because a lot of it's tape. Yeah. No, yeah. man. I wrote that. I wrote that today. You're not going to steal that from me. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you know, he's indignant. Of course. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Oof. I, the be- I gave the- you way too much there. Way too. No, much. that's no, the perfect you, you amount. Didn't, actually. Like the beauty of you is, I mean, look, you've been doing NBA for fifty years. You know everyone. Um, one of our producers said before we came on air that you played one on one against Larry Bird. Is that true? Yeah, I, I played one on one with a lot of players, a lot of players, and um, some of them I beat, and some of them I outshot, and. Um, I, I did play Bird. I played him. We were on the West Coast swing in 86 after the All-Star game. First stop, Sacramento. Uh, so different back in those days. No charters. So we stay over. They lost the first game to the Kings. Bird missed two free throws. These are, these are things that you know, are embedded in my brain. Right. And, uh, and they, then they stay, they stay the next day to practice. On the same court, they just lost on, you know, and and Bird, I'm going to get to playing them. So Bird, as we get there, the Kings are finishing up. And he, he and I became really, really tight on that trip and and, and, be, and stayed that way a long time. And um, he says, uh, follow me. So I'm, I'm going in their locker room. And he, he heads right into the Kings locker room. And I'm the only one with him. And he, you know, he says to Eddie Johnson, Reggie Theus, Ray Williams, you know, whoever else was there, 
He says, you fucking guys think you, you know, you, you, you fucking think you're good. He said, let's, let's run it back right now. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, I'm like, wow. Oh my God, this is great. I've never written that. I've never written. I've never even, I don't it. think, I don't think I have. I've never so heard anyway, of anything like that happening before. Yeah. Did they come no, out? Did no. they play? No, no, no. Reggie, Reggie Theus. I talked to him recently about it. Reggie Theus said, we like, what the fuck? <laughs> who, who wants to punch him? You know, who, who, they knew he was fooling around, but you know, at the same time, anyway, so I practiced that after practice, so Casey Jones let me work out with the, the second team, which was phenomenal and, uh, played four on four and you, uh, you couldn't, you couldn't, your team could not shoot until all four, all four people were across half court. Hmm. Now you, you try playing that when you're, you know, a writer and you know, you're not, in, I was in shape, but I wasn't in that shape. Hmm. And I had like Scott Wedman fucking yelling at me, you know, you fuck can't cross half court, get the fuck off the court. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and I felt like getting off the court. I was like, they were killing me. I stayed like in between the two free throw lines. That's where I stayed. But, um, and then Bird said to me after, he said, you know, you talk some shit. Let's, why don't we play? Let's go. And, uh, and, and we played. And I, I tell, I, this I've written about. So I, I hand checked him to start it out. And he came down as hard as he could with his right hand on my left, my left knuckles and slapped me. And it was like my, my hand was numb the rest of the day. He was like, and he said to me, he said, you want to play? You want to fuck around? What do you want to do? I said, I want to play. You know, let's play. So uh, he, he beat me 11-5. And I, I was fucking happy with that, let me tell you. Mm. So. <laughs> was this uh, bird with or without mustache? Because I think that's important. Yeah, without. Without. Oh, no, without. So if it had been. He had just won, he had just won the first three-point shooting contest. Mm. In the All Star Game, yeah, yeah, and you're the you're the person that coined the phrase "Larry Legend," right? If, I'm, if I remember, it's I am. Yeah, yep. you don't get enough credit for that. That's like no, the, I don't. That's one of the they best all time. About my, they talk about my negative, you know, but the, not not that one. Well, let's hear some of the negative ones because those are fun. <laughs> no, <too. laughs> I mean, there's so many. There, you know, we do this on Twitter all the time. Guys are always bringing it up. Um, you know, I probably have a hundred of them. Yeah, yeah. hundred good, hundred good ones. <laughs> But um, I the Larry Legend I'm really proud of uh, Air Jordan. Mm. That was you my, too. Well, that's a brand. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, that's that a, was, I made a couple dollars off of off of what you said there. Well, he was the sneaker was named Air Jordan, right. but he came into the garden as a rookie, mm. you know, exhibition, and I wrote a whole column, and I have it still have that column about this guy I just watched, and I called him Air Jordan. It was in the headline. And his agent David Falk gave me credit for really, you know, getting that shoe off the ground with mm -hmm. that nickname. So, but I don't get credit for that. Well, yeah, but I don't really, I don't really expect credit for Air Jordan because the sneaker was named Air Jordan. I just, yeah, yeah, applied just it. It, yeah. I just applied it. What, yeah. uh, what was it like seeing Jordan that first time in person? Because, I mean, he. It seems mm -hmm. like he was a different kind of athlete than everybody else that was around him at that point. Yeah, I wish I could show you my column that I did on him. I was, I was like, overwhelmed. I, I, I just went nuts. I gushed. You know, I gushed and I gushed and I gushed and uh, tried to be creative. And uh, I'm proud of that column because everything I wrote in that column became true. And off one exhibition. 
And I think he only had like, you know, maybe 20, 20 something points and, you know, five rebounds, five assists, whatever it was, I forget. But, but every, oh my goodness. You know, I, I went back and told Julius, I said, he's you with a jump shot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he was thrilled to hear about that. Uh, Speaking of, yeah, he didn't speak to me for like a month. Yeah, (laughs) I can imagine. Um, speaking of Jordan, you know what I was I was shocked at is that you weren't in the last dance because you were the guy throughout all of that era. And I was surprised that you weren't in there. Um, did they did they not reach out to you? Like, how did that documentary work? Well, I'm not sure how exactly. Worked. Although the woman producer who is who is uh, Jordan's you know, right hand person. Mm. You know, she told me uh, a month or so ago about it. You know, we just no, we didn't, we didn't insult, we didn't try to insult you or anything. We just didn't have, you know, we wanted to go a certain way and didn't have room for you. Whatever. I said, look, I I don't care. I think, you know, I think you're stupid not to have me. But at the same time, I wouldn't have done it anyway because I know I wasn't going to give up a lot what I know, and I still have it, and. Um, I wasn't going to say stuff that I knew they could splice right, and yeah, yeah. You know, leave on the floor. I said, I wasn't going to do it. I don't know if she believed me or not, but I wasn't. But, but, uh, well, I'm sure you had stu- some, uh, I'm sure you were active in the conversation, particularly surrounding that season where the Chicago ownership and management decided to blow that team up. Right. I mean, I, no, I, of course. I, I'm sure no, you weren't very friendly towards them. Right. Um, I mean, not really. I, I um, they used the segment in the beginning with me. Mm-hmm. They took it. They took it from NBC. You know, obviously they had NBC's permission. They didn't ask me, but they did. Like right in the beginning of it, because I interviewed Phil Jackson. We went to Paris. Uh, the Bulls played in the McDonald's Classic, and my whole family went to Paris for a week. And I interviewed Phil, and they took what they took out of that. They used uh, from that interview. So, um, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, people ask me about Jerry Krause and Reinsdorf and stuff. I was good. I was good with Reinsdorf, uh, fairly good with Krause. I think they really, they really did him and the, and the, uh, the documentary uh, disservice by just not giving him the due. He's starting to get a little bit now from, you know, Pippen, I think Pippen gave him some due recently. But look, he didn't he didn't draft Jordan. So people say, well, he didn't draft Jordan. Well, Jordan didn't win until Krause got there. Right. <clears throat> and Krause, Krause put those pieces around him once, twice, three times, four times. Almost every season, the components changed. You know, and, and he was against the Oakley, Oakley Cartwright trade. You know, he was down on Cartwright the whole, you know, for the first season, told his teammates not to pass it to him in the fourth quarter, all that shit. And, and so who comes out looking stupid? He does. Jordan does. Krause didn't get the credit he deserves for continually turning over the team and putting the right pieces next to Jordan. You know, like every year there was a new off guard. Mm-hmm. You know, at one time, I could name them all. It was like, you know, Bobby Hanson, Trent Tucker, you know, Paxson, Kerr, um, Del Negro, I think, on and on. It was on and on. And so, and then he did it at Power Forward. You know, he did Oakley, he did Grant, and then he you know, brought in Rodman. I mean, come on. 
Yeah. Well, that's how you build teams. Jordan still hasn't figured it out, and as a, as a as a management as an owner, so. I mean, it's ludicrous. People, people like they, they didn't get it. People just they oh, Michael, listen to him talk, you know, listen to him brag, listen to him boast, listen to him bully. And that's that's what that documentary was all about. It's all about Michael. And, you know, a lot of what Pippen says, I'm with him. I'm with him on that. I would love to interview Pippen. Yeah, uh, fact, yeah, he seems to be pretty open these days. Yeah, he's really open. I mean, well, look, he just said Phil Jackson was a racist on a on a podcast a couple of weeks well, ago. I, yeah, no, and, I, and I'd love to talk to him about that. You know, I, I, Scotty and I had a very good relationship um, while he was there, when he was retired. I, I'd love to talk to him about that. I'd love to. I got a note yesterday from Scott Williams, who was on those teams, and uh, he asked me to go go talk to him. Scotty needs you to talk to him. And I, I'd love to. I have his number, but, you know, I have no, I have no place to put it right now. So we'll, I'm working on something. Well, maybe, maybe that'll happen. But I, I, I stuck up from, you can look it up as Casey Stengel would say, you could look it up. But when he didn't get that last shot and it was given to Tony Kukoc, Mm -hmm. I I was totally against him, not uh, against him sitting on that bench like that, but all the rest, I totally agreed with him. Why the fuck did he, Tony Kukoc get that shot? You know, that made no sense. And, um, you know, so I, and, and I said it on television. I wrote a column about it. So, you, you know, it's not it's right there to look, look and listen. Um, so I, I get his hurt. I mean, it was real. It was, and I found out recently I, I, I looked it up because I looked up what I wrote. And I found that um, that previous play um, Scotty did something wrong. I'm not sure what it was. And Jackson came down hard on him in the in the in the uh, huddle and that's why he didn't get the shot yeah i i don't know that i Ray, think yeah i uh, yeah I, I i hear what you're saying because i don't think me personally race was necessarily a factor no it was more or less the play before what had happened and then saying look we're going to give it to ku coach he was perfectly capable of taking the last shot and obviously he made it um so but but you know, again, people got to look it up. Guy played like 15 minutes in that game. Cool coach. Mm. Come on. Uh, you know, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't even playing. You know, like <laughs> Pippen, Pippen almost took them to the finals, for Christ's sake, you know, without Jordan. Mm. I, I, I was absolutely rooting for the Bulls to get to the finals without Jordan. Nothing personal with Jordan, but I thought it would have been a tremendous story. And they, they came so close to getting by the Knicks. And uh, so that that happened, and uh, I, I felt the pain. I really do. I, I still do. I get it. Well, I'm sure Pippen still feels the pain too. He he might be the most, even though people know he's great, he might be the most underrated player of all time just because of his proximity to Michael Jordan. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, and then well, tough, way tough to be underrated when you're on the dream team, and you know you're for in the sure whole... top fifty, but nah. but nah. still he see, he's he doesn't seem to get the credit. And how do you how well, do you how do you just get the credit? He doesn't get the credit from these young people who have no idea who uh, who Pete Maravich was. Right, you know yeah, who Pete yeah. Maravich was? No, I don't. I How grew up Pistol nearby Pete? there. Yeah. How about Pistol? Oh yeah, we know who Pistol Pete is. We don't know who Pete Maravich. Okay, right. good. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the era we live in. Um, uh, with Jordan yeah. or, or, or any of these guys, Doctor J, was there ever a time where you held back and didn't write 
what you could have written because you were you were trying to protect some of these players? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I never counted, but maybe hundreds. <laughs> I, because because I was I was out there with. Them. Yeah. So what was I going to do? Write about myself? Yeah, but look, because you were a ball player too, and you know you had to know the gig. Um, but you know you also broke some huge stories, like Latrell Sprewell choking out uh, PJ Carlissimo. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was there any debate in that of like, all right, no. well, if this gets out, no. it's going to ruin his life? No, 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 nothing, nothing that actually happened. I held. Well, I, I take it back. Two times, two times I held back, and both cost me. And my editor was furious at both because he knew about both. But, but. Um, I never held back when something was there that needed to be broken, you know, like guns in the locker room. That was mine. And, and we, we did, I'd say almost two weeks of reporting before we did the story and still had stuff wrong, but not, not the important stuff, not at all. And, uh, you know, Washington post, you know, kill me for having, you know, minor stuff wrong when, story broke in their faces and uh you know tried to make up stuff that never happened uh same they did the same thing with Sprewell and Carlissimo the the New York Times guy Mike Wise who then became went to the Washington Post he tried to make up stuff that didn't happen you know he said and and proved wrong you know they just writers don't like to get don't like to get uh uh you know, burned in their own home territory, man. They do not like that. And so there's so so much jealousy going on. And, uh, they, you know, they, the first thing they do is deny everything. You know, no, no, that didn't happen. That Well, yeah, it happened. <laughs> same thing happened. Same thing happened when, um, oh, man, you know, I, I've had so many big stories. But the one, the one um, uh, Brian Hill, that was my story when they had the uh, – uh, the vote the previous night, uh, Hardaway, mm-hmm. Hardaway, and the team voted that they wanted him gone, and they presented it to management. And I broke that on national television, on NBC Live, after the Magic game. And, um, you know, even Matty Gukas and Marv Albert did not know that we were coming with that. We could have come before the game, but Eversol decided to, it would ruin the game come afterward I, I totally agreed and you know denial 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 by everybody for you know, you know for, for a few days yeah until until the magic went home and he was fired mm-hmm. but i knew i had that one but you still have to take a lot of heat from a lot of people and amazingly again you know the whole jealousy thing is uh, uh they did a documentary on that magic team right mm-hmm. i was not i was not asked to take part in that either <laughs> I'm the one. I'm the one that broke the biggest story in their history, you know. Yeah. And know so much more about what went on with other things, whether with Shaq and Daly and you know, whole those idiots. You know, no, I'm not gonna, not gonna talk about that. Oh, well, <laughs> what kind of documentary is that? You know, <laughs> Jesus Christ. But um, you know, even Jordan, even Michael. You know, one of the biggest stories I have. The only one I have hanging in my apartment, the only story I have hanging in my apartment is when I went down to Orlando when he was playing baseball and I showed up unannounced and uh, watched him play and then waited at the hotel where basketball players used to stay too, the Marriott. And um, 
came off the bus and he, he gave me, you know, four hours or so of interview at the bar and in his room. And uh, at the end of it, you know, he told me all the stuff, you know, didn't like this, didn't like that. Again, that, the one it's a great column because it's all him talking about why he retired, you know, didn't like Grant, didn't like Pippen, didn't like Jackson, didn't like the media, which everyone knew. Yep. And then, and then at the end of it, you know, I said to him, you know, uh, you know how this is going to look in print. And he goes, I don't care. You know, <laughs> you got it. You got it. I went home to uh, where I lived at the time. And uh, um, where did I live? Shelter Island. And um, wrote the sto- was writing the story. And I got a call from David Falk, his agent, and said, Michael would like you not to write the story. He'd like you to come down to Birmingham for a week and play ball and hang out. And I said, look, <laughs> my editor <laughs> already knows about this. How in the world could you ask me to not do this? You know, this we're, this is our this is one of the biggest stories of all time. Yeah. And and so of course I did the story and Michael went to Chicago and denied saying it. <laughs> 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 so so that wasn't brought up in the piece in the documentary that they did, you know, that ridiculous documentary they did. So um yeah, so you know, you just have to live with that stuff. Thankfully, you know, I had editors that, uh, you know, stuck by me when, when people were denying and saying, you know, it's bullshit made up and all that stuff. It takes time for things to to show that they're real. And they, 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 knew, they knew I had shit. They knew I wasn't going to make up anything ever. But, um, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, t- in today's society or time, um, we try to have our favorites on, the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, you're one of them, certainly. And we had uh, Armin Kintan on uh, a few weeks ago, who we love. I, I felt like your era, um, you know, that you were covering, 70s, 80s, 90s, um, w- was the greatest of all time. Media has changed so drastically right now that, you know, you're, you're looking for clickbait and, and things like that. And I don't think they pay the reporters enough money to do diligent, you know, research and everything well, I else. I, I think you're wrong about that. I think writers get paid way, way, way more than we did. I made great money. But, I mean, when you when you got guys making, what, Stephen Anal makes $12 million a year? What? Yeah. You know, I didn't know we'll, that the A we'll and do. Stephen A. Smith stood for Anal until it right does now. Stay, yes, it does stand, stand mm-hmm. for, uh, for Anal. No, that, you know, that's... Yeah, that's what it stands for. What's yeah. So, you know, and, 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 you know, and, and the great woes, you know, what's he meant? Millions? Are you kidding? Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're making, but, making but there's unbelievable. Only... And, and, you know, they do run a protection, information protection racket. They do. Yeah. At least Woes does, you know. Don't, don't ever expect him to write anything drastic about somebody that he's getting information from. And they, it's not going to happen. No, not at all. But, you know, at the top, yes, there's a, there's a handful of guys that make millions, but the rest are on staff at ESPN. Like, I, I heard the salary is like, I don't know, 75 grand or whatever it was. Sports writers, um, they're farming that out and they're getting, you know, four to 500 bucks an article. Uh, most of the yeah, magazines that's freelance. are. Yeah. Those are freelance guys. Look, guys that are on newspapers, they're making money. What do you think Phil Mushnick makes? Probably makes a half a million dollars. You real. think so? I know so. Okay. <laughs> well, let's go rob that dude. Yeah, let's go rob. Let's yeah, go find him and rob him. But uh, yeah, because it seems, nice. you know, when I go back to New York and I look at the New York Times building, only one floor is left for the New York Times. Um, 
I, it's surprising that, that there is enough money, according to you at least, to keep these ones afloat. Um, well, how- NBC, NBC is in Connecticut. Right. So is ESPN. <laughs> ESPN so is there, too, well, yeah. That, that, yeah. ESPN's been there forever, but NBC is in Connecticut. Yeah, it's weird, what? right? Yeah, yeah. But no, right? If you're if you're writing for the Post or the, or, or uh, the Times or uh, you know or the L.A. Times or Washington, but you're you're making good money. You're not you're not they're not there are unions involved, and you know you've got to start at a certain salary, and then you're you know you're getting upgraded. You're there a long time. No, it's good money. It's good money. Yes. And when I was there, I was making great money. Well, there's money in sports, though. I think non-sports writers are probably having a harder time than sports writers are right now because you can, you can track articles written about sports directly back to a revenue-generating base, which is the sports world in, in general. Politics, where the money in politics goes to shitty politicians yeah. that are criminals, right? Yeah. So it's like, how do you track that back and then pay somebody based on the reach and stuff? It's, I think it gets tangled up a little bit. I don't really care about any of those. No. No, not no. at all. I mean, look, I was looking at your Twitter today, and you went bombs away on Cuomo after that uh, <laughs> New York Attorney yeah. General well, report came out. But wait a minute, since since I since I put that on Twitter, you're right up on it. But he's he he now they they said he did do it, right? They they announced that he did it. Yes, yes. yeah, yeah they, they announced that he did it, and yeah. then he's denying all of it. So he's right. going full but Jordan. I didn't know on. that. I didn't know that when I wrote it. I wrote that they hadn't come to a conclusion yet. So mm. I, I was behind on that one. I, well. I got to get off here and. Update. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> definitely. Uh, I mean, she the the New York Attorney General actually went as far as to say he broke state and federal law as well, right? So there we go. Yeah, there yeah. we go. That's so. Yeah, roommate, well, roommate. Um, <laughs> yeah, you put a picture of him and Weinstein on there that yeah. just said roomies picking out the yeah. drapes together. <laughs> you know, uh, Cuomo, Cuomo, and I are both in the uh, Archbishop Malloy Hall of Fame. Oh, are you really? <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh man, he got in '75. Wait, no, no, he no graduated in '75. I graduated in '61. We were the first class at Archbishop Malloy. But yeah, I noticed. I noticed yesterday because I got something from Malloy, and he he's in the Hall of Fame. And uh, and I you know I got in in 2001, and not a good year to get in there actually. <laughs> was, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Did something oh, happen that year? Totally kidding. Totally. No, kidding. no, it, it, it's amazing because I got into two Hall of Fames that year. One was the New York City Hall of Basketball Hall of Fame, and we had it like a week after or two weeks after, and it it was difficult. Mm. I, you know, it was hard. Lee Jones, who was a referee in the NBA, he was there, and his son had died in in nine eleven, mm. which I, you know, I talked about, but. That that was that was tough, but yeah, two, going into two Hall of Fames in two thousand and one, I don't think anybody noticed. No, well, there's <laughs> no. I've got a, I've got a, I just came up with a theory on that. Maybe it's like after being attacked by terrorists, everyone's like, this Vessi guy is not actually that bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can let him in now. <laughs> Shit, <laughs> just so maybe it worked out. I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, right. Uh, um, what last question here? Uh, what? No, what? I'm having too much fun now. Shit, oh, let's, let's, shit, let's fire away then. Yeah. Who cares? Uh, what, what was your greatest moment over the last 50 years of covering everything? Um, because Dan and I are, are fortunate enough, you know, I know podcasting is way different than, than what you do, obviously, but we get to cover all the biggest sporting events every two weeks. 
Um, so we're always at the biggest event there is. World Series, really? Mas- yeah, World Series Masters. Uh, we were just at the McGregor fights. Um, you name it, we get to go there. Super Bowls and all that stuff. Uh-huh. Um, I'm curious, what was your greatest moments being in the arena for something and watching something up close? I mean, being in that locker room with Larry Bird talking shit is pretty good. That's pretty, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, certain games stick out, certainly. But to me, the, the, the greatest times of my life, sporting-wise, has been, you know, playing Bird one-on-one. Mm. Or, you know, playing Isaiah one-on-one on his court in his house and having him having to change the music three times because I was beating him. You know, I was like, okay. <laughs> And, 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 and uh, you know, or, or interviewing, going out to L.A. to interview Don Newcomb, who was a childhood, you know, idol of mine with the Dodgers and, and him, him receiving me out in L.A. and giving me four hours of interview. And recently, recently interviewing Carl Erskine, the last survivor of the Boys of Summer, mm-hmm. giving me four different times of interviews. I mean, just great stories, tremendous stories interviewing Bob Cousy recently. Um, those, you know, are doing, you know, podcasts with Jerry West that I did, did three of them, Julius, Oscar, and West, all three great. And, you know, West, you know, so those kind of things, you know, going out, going out to uh, getting friendly with uh, Jack Nicholson, telling him, telling me stories that, that before a game about Jersey, shit he did in Jersey or, you know, or, you know, shit like that. I mean, like that, those were, <laughs> the game were there games? Yeah, I don't remember those right. games. <clears throat> I'm sure with with Nicholson, uh, like oh my god, who knows what fucking was said there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We- no, and and I can't remember it because I'm thinking he's telling me these stories, and they were they were great stories about his childhood shit he did. And I I'm trying to remember them, but I'm so. I'm so taken by talking to him that I that I couldn't do it. And then Pesci's over there on the side, you know, uh, sat down with him. It's like, oh my God, Denzel and I have a good relationship. So, you know, like I, I tell him this this is a great story. I've told it, didn't want to tell it, but I told it anyway. So I'm I'm doing TNT. Uh, coming down in an elevator to go to to the studio and. Uh, a guy in a baseball cap. He says, "Man, he says, I really, really like your stuff, man. I, I love your stuff." He says, "Oh, thank you, man. What do you do?" <laughs> Denzel. Yep. It's Denzel. Yeah. It's Denzel. So that that is take you know that took a life of its own. Uh, years later, when when he did the uh, you know that training day, uh-huh. and you know and scared the shit out of everybody <laughs> you know, with that with that role. And I and I and I went by him at that at the uh, at Staples. He had a front row seat. And I I didn't you know I would say hello to him a lot. But after that movie, I said, ah, you know what? I don't really want to say hello to him. Kind of he kind of scared me. So <laughs> so I didn't. I didn't. And then we had dinner. I'm gonna drop some names. I had we had dinner one night in L.A. with Jerry West and and you know and, and, and Penny Marshall and blah blah blah. And 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 I told I told him that. I was afraid to talk to you. And he said, as well, you should have. (laughs) (laughs) So those are the moments. Those are the moments that I remember forever. You know, Bird, you know, I I met with him 
oh, I don't know, four or five years ago in, in Indianapolis. I just I just was trying to write my book and I want to make sure I had things straight about, you know, incidents and accidents on our during our travels and our time together. And I said, so what's your recollection of us playing together, playing, playing against each other? And he said, uh, I said, you know, 11-5, 11-6. He goes, I, I think it was 11-5. I said, you know, okay. I said, I'll, I'll take that. 11-5, man. Fuck, great. And he goes, what, what, what's the big deal? He said, you know, I never played defense. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's what it's all about, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. He wouldn't give me. He wouldn't give me an inch. He wouldn't give me. Ah, oh, that's great. I've I've met Denzel Washington. He's <laughs> one of the most loveliest human beings of all time. Very, very smart and uh, and funny. Um, Wait, is he smart, or does he just use the fact that he can act non-verbally really well to buy himself time to come up with good quips? That's what I think. No, man, he's smart. Yeah, he's of course, smart. he's great. He's great, great storyteller. Yeah. Great, great to be with. Uh, that I miss. You know that that kind of stuff. I miss. Uh, I don't miss writing, but I miss being at that table mm, or yeah. being in that room. You know, and and talking. So, which podcasts are pretty good for me. You know, I, I, I am thinking about doing them, but I don't want to do them like we're doing it. I, I want to be in the room. Right. Same. Same. And, that, and look, that's what we miss about all of it, because it's like you were saying, it's the stories, too, of on and off air and hanging out, going to dinner and things like that that are, that yeah. are also a blast. Um, there was one. And I'll ask you this because I've never hung out with him. You, you were mentioning Jack Nicholson earlier. I had one one of my buddies had gone to a dinner with him in Vegas and they said, when you enter his orbit, it is just like anything else that you've ever seen. And I was like, how so? And he said, well, we went to dinner um, and the waitress seats us and the hostess comes over and everything. And they're asking drink orders and everything else. And then just at the end of the drink order to Jack Nicholson, she says, do you need a blowjob or anything? Or, you know, and he, he just looks at her and he goes, ha, ah, I'm all good right now, love. Maybe later. And then, you know, kind of moved on with his day. She goes, great, took the drink order and came back. And everybody at the table was staring at him. And finally, one guy just perked up and was like, hey, dude, does that happen to you all the time? And he just goes, everywhere I go. And, then, and that was it. You do a good Jack Nicholson. Uh, it's decent. It's hacky. but uh... Oh, that's funny, man. Exactly. So the games are the games. And, um, you know, I, I might remember six or seven. I remember Rucker games better than I do. <laughs> I bet. Um, now's yeah. the point in the show we get to the drinking bro of the week, which is uh, someone who has inspired you or helped you become the person you are today. Who would you like to give the drinking bro of the week to? Well, my parents obviously inspired me, but I, um, a guy named Jerry Lister, who I worked with at the Daily News, he uh, I broke him in, actually. He was older than me. I broke him in. And then he went on to become the sports editor of the Post, and he hired when Murdoch bought the paper. He he hired Jerry to be the executive sports editor, and Jerry hired me and gave me the column. Hmm. So without Jerry Lisker, you know I'm nothing, and um, it's just an amazing thing. Awesome. That's great. And without 9/11, you're not in the Hall of Fame. So. Yeah, yeah. So you can thank Bin Laden for that. Uh, I'm coming up with. I've got a new character. Before we get out of here, let me run this by you guys. Ready? Uh, it's his name is Jem Laden. Uh huh. And he's like a six foot four uh, guy. He's on dialysis, but lives in the Midwest. 
long beard, dark skin. Uh, it's Bin Laden in witness protection. Sure. But he's trying to fake being an American, and it's just basically him making fun of fat Americans the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim Laden, what do you think? No. No? no? All no. right, cool. Probably right. workshop that. Too soon? Work, workshop yeah. that. I, I cut that out of it. Yeah, <laughs> probably, probably leave that one uh, on the editing yeah, leave floor. That, put that on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, we, we greatly appreciate you joining us today. Again, you're one of the greatest of all time, and it is truly an honor. And uh, thank you for being here today. All right. I love being called a terrorist. <laughs> hey, these are the times you know, we live in now. You can be a terrorist just from saying things and not even and doing things. Exactly. You know, cool. you know Hubie, Hubie named me the Viper. And that, that fucking stuck. I mean, you know, a lot of my nickname stuck elsewhere, but his stuck Viper. And Colby and I used to argue about whose nickname was more poisonous, the Black Mamba or the Viper. And uh, I looked it up. It's, it's the Mamba. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P. We love. I love all Kobe. Right. Kobe's yeah. my favorite. Kobe's yeah. my favorite of all time. All uh, right. Thank you for being hey, here, good, Peter. Good stuff. Good stuff. Kobe. Yes, sir. It was a blast uh, for D'Anthony D'Anthony Holloway. I'm Ross Patterson. This is Drinking Bros Sports. Good night, everyone.